Chapter Twenty Six of the Frozen Pirate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Barbara Dirksen. The Frozen Pirate by W. Clark Russell. Chapter Twenty Six. I am troubled by thoughts of the treasure. The weight of the wind in the rigging steadied the schooner somewhat, and prevented her from rolling too heavily to starboard, whilst her list corrected her larboard rolls. So, as I sat below, she seemed to me to be making tolerably good weather of it. Not much water came aboard. Now and again I would hear the clatter of a fall forwards, but at comfortably long intervals i sat against the dresser with my back upon it and being dead tired must have dropped asleep on a sudden indeed before i had half smoked my pipe out and i do not believe i gave a thought to my situation before i slumbered so wearied was i the cold awoke me the fire was out and so was the candle in the lanthorn and i was in coffin darkness this the tinder-box speedily remedied I looked at my watch, seven o'clock, as I was a sinner, so that my sleep had lasted between three and four hours. I went on deck, and found the night still black upon the sea, the wind the same brisk gale that was blowing when I quitted the helm, the sea no heavier, and the schooner tumbling in true Dutch fashion upon it. I looked very earnestly about, but could see no signs of ice. There would be daylight presently, so I went below, lighted the fire, and got my breakfast, and when I returned the sun was up, and the sea visible to its furthest reaches. It was a fine wintry piece, the sea green and running in ridges with frothing heads, the sky very pale among the dark snow-laden clouds the sun darting a ray now and again, which was swung into the north by the shadows of the clouds until they extinguished it. Remote in the northwest hung the gleam of an iceberg. There was nothing else in sight. Yes, something that comforted me exceedingly, though it was not very many days ago, that a like object had heavily scared me. An albatross, a noble bird, sailing on the windward close enough to be shot the sight of this living thing was inexpressibly cheering it put into my head a fancy of ships being at hand thoughts of help and of human companions in truth my imagination was willing to accept it as the same bird that i had frightened away when in the boat now returned to silently reproach me for my treatment of it nay my lonely eye my subdued and suffering heart might even have witnessed the good angel of my life in that solitary shape of ocean beauty and have deemed that though unseen it had been with me throughout and was now made visible to my gaze by the light of hope that had broken into the darkness of my adventure well supposing it so i should not have been the only man who ever scared his good angel away and found it faithful afterwards i unlashed the tiller and got the schooner before the wind and steered until a little before noon letting her drive dead before the sea which carried her north-east 
then securing the helm amidships i ran for the quadrant and whilst waiting for the sun to show himself i observed that the vessel held herself very steadily before the wind which might have been owing to her high stern and the great swell of her sides and her round bottom but be the cause what it might she ran as fairly with her helm amidships as if i had been at the tiller to check her a most fortunate condition of my navigation for it privileged me to get about other work whilst at the same time every hour was conveying me nearer to the track of ships and further from the bitter regions of the south i got an observation and made out that the vessel had driven about fifteen leagues during the night she must do better than that thought i and when i had eaten some dinner i took a chopper and going on to the forecastle lay out upon the bowsprit and after beating the spritsail yard block clear of ice cut away the gaskets that confined the sail to the yard heartily beating the canvas that was like iron till a clue of it fell i then came in and braced the yard square and the wind presently catching the exposed part of the sail blew more of it out and yet more until there was a good surface showing then to a sudden hard blast of wind the whole sail flew open with a mighty crackling as though indeed it was formed of ice but to render it useful i had to haul the sheets aft which i could not manage without the help of the tackles we had used in slinging the powder over the side so that what with one hindrance and another the setting of that sail took me an hour and a half but had it occupied me all day it would have been worth doing trifling as it was as a cloth its effect upon the schooner was like that of a cordial upon a fainting man it was not that she sensibly showed nimbler heels to it its lifting tendency enabled her to ride the under-running seas more buoyantly and if it increased her speed by half a knot an hour it was worth a million to me whose business it was to take the utmost possible advantage of the southerly gale i returned to the helm warm with the exercise and gazed forward not a little proud of myself though the sail was eight and forty years old and perhaps older it offered as tough and stout a surface to the wind as if it was fresh from the sailmaker's hands so great are the preserving qualities of ice i looked wistfully at the topsail but on reflecting that if it should come on to blow hard enough to compel me to heave the brig to she would never haul with that canvas abroad i resolved to let it lie for i could cut away the spritsail if the necessity arose and not greatly regret its loss but to lose the topsail would be a serious matter though if i did not cut it adrift it might carry away the mast for me so as i say i would not meddle with it finding that the ship continued to steer herself very well and the better for the spritsail i thought i would get the body of the old frenchman overboard and so obtain a clear hold for myself so far as corpses went i carried the lanthorn into the forecastle but when i pulled the hammock off him i confess it was not without a stupid fear that i should find him alive 
recollection of his astounding vitality found something imperishable in that ugly anatomy and though he lay before me as dead and cold as a stone i yet had a fancy that the seeds of life were still in him that twas only the current of his being that had frozen that if i were to thaw him afresh he might recover and that if i buried him i should actually be dispatching him but though these fancies possessed they did not control me i took his watch and whatever else he had in that way carried him on deck and dropped him over the side using as little ceremony as he had employed in the disposal of his shipmates, but affected by very different emotions. For there was not only the idea that the vital spark was still in him, I could not but handle with awe the most mysterious corpse the eye had ever viewed, one who had lived through a stupor or death-sleep for eight-and-forty years, in whom in a few hours time had compressed the wizardry he stretches in others over a half a century who in a night had shrunk from the aspect of his prime into the lean puckered bleary-eyed deaf and tottering expression of a hundred years but now he was gone the bubbles which rose to the plunge of his body were his epitaph had they risen blood-red they would have better symbolized his life the albatross stooped to the spot where he had vanished with a hoarse salt scream like the laugh of a delirious woman and the wind freshening momentarily in a squall made one think of the spirit of nature as eager to purify the air of heaven from the taint of the dead pirate's passage from the bulwarks to the water's surface all that day and through the night that followed the schooner drove rolling and plunging before the seas into the northeast to the pulling of the spritsail i made several excursions into the forehold but never could hear the sound of water in the vessel her sides in places were still sheathed in ice but this crystal armour was gradually dropping off her to the working of her frame in the seas so that since she was proving herself tight it was certain her staunchness owed nothing to the glassy plating I had seen some strange craft in my day, but nothing to beat the appearance this old tub of a hooker submitted to my gaze as I viewed her from the helm. How so uncouth a structure, with her tall stern, flaring bows, fat buttocks, sloping masts, forecastle well, and massive head timbers ever managed to pursue and overhaul a chase was only to be unriddled by supposing all that she took to be more unwieldy and clumsy than herself what would a pirate of these days in his clean-lined polacca or arrowy schooner have thought of such an instrument as this for the practice of his pretty trade the ice aloft still held for her spars and rigging the resemblance of glass and to every sunbeam that flashed upon her from between the sweeping clouds she would sparkle out into many-coloured twinklings marvellously delicate in colour and changing their tints twenty times over in a breath through the swiftness of the reeling of the spars i should but fatigue you to follow the several little stories of these hours one by one how i got my food snatched at sleep stood at the helm gazed around the sea-line and the like 
just before sundown i saw a large iceberg in the north two leagues distant no others were in sight but one was enough to make me uneasy and i spent a very troubled night repeatedly coming on deck to look about me the schooner steered herself as if a man stood at the helm the spritsail further helped her in this for if the curl of a sea under her forefoot brought her to larboard or starboard the sail forced her back again still it was a very surprising happy quality in her the next best thing to my having a shipmate and a wonderful relief to me who must otherwise have brought her to under a lashed helm every time i had an occasion to leave the deck the seaworthiness of the craft coupled with the reasonable assurance of presently falling in with the ship rendered me so far easy in my mind as to enable me to think very frequently of the treasure and how i was to secure it if i fell in with an enemy's cruiser or a privateer i must expect to be stripped this would be the fortune of war and i must take my chance my concern did not lie that way how was i to protect this property that was justly mine against my own countrymen suppose i had the good fortune to carry the schooner safely into english waters i had a brother-in-law jeremiah mason esq a turkey merchant in a small way of business whose office was in the city of london and if i could manage to convey the treasure secretly to him he would i knew find me a handsome account in his settlement of this affair but it was impossible to strike out a plan i must wait and attend the course of events yet riches being things which fever the coldest imaginations i could not look ahead without excitement and irritability of fancy i should reckon it a hard fate indeed after my cruel experiences my freeing the vessel from the ice my sailing her through some thousands of miles of perilous seas and finally arriving in safety to be dispossessed of what was strictly mine as much mine as if i had fished it up from the bottom of the sea where it must otherwise have lain till the crack of doom i remember that among other ideas it entered my head to tell the master of the first ship i met if she were british the whole story of my adventure to acquaint him with the treasure to offer to transship it and myself to his vessel and abandon the schooner and to propose a handsome reward for his offices but i could not bring my mind to trust any stranger with so great a secret the mere circumstance of the treasure not being mine in the sense of my having earned it of its being piratical plunder and as much one's as another's might dull the edge of even a fair dealing conscience and expose me to the machinations of a heavily tempted mind therefore though i had no plan i was resolved at all hazards to stick to the schooner and with a view to providing against the curiosity or rummaging of any persons who should come aboard i fell to the following work after getting my breakfast i hung lanthorns in the run and hatchways and cabin to enable me to pass easily to and fro i then emptied one of the chests in my cabin and carried it to where the treasure was the chest i filled nearly three parts full with money jewellery and etc which sank the contents of the other chests to the depth i wanted 
i then fetched a quantity of small arms such as pistols and hangers and cutlasses and filled up the chests with them first placing a thickness of canvas over the money and jewellery that no glitter might show through to improve the deception i brought another chest to the run and wholly filled it with the cutlasses powder horns pistols and the like and so fixed it that it must be the first to come to hand my cunning amounted to this that suppose the run to be rummaged the contents of the first chest were sure to be turned out but on the other chests being opened and what they appeared to contain observed it was as likely as not that the rummagers would be satisfied they were arms chests and quit meddling with them here now might i indulge in a string of reflections on the troubles and anxieties which money brings quote from juvenal and other poets and hold myself up to your merriment by a contemptuous exhibition of myself a lonely sailor labouring to conceal his gold from imaginary knaves toiling in the dark depth of the vessel and never heeding that even whilst he so worked his ship might split upon some half-tied rock of ice and founder with him and his treasure too and so on and so on but the fact is i was not a fool here was money enough to set me up as a fine gentleman for life and i meant to save it and keep it too if i could a man on his deathbed a man in such peril that his end is certain can afford to be sentimental he is going where money is dross indeed and he is in a posture when to moralize upon human greed and the vanity of wishes and riches becomes him but would not a man whose health is hardy and who hopes to save his life be worse off than a sheep in the matter of brains not to keep a firm grip of fortune's hand when she extended it i know i was very well pleased with my morning's work when i had accomplished it and had no mind to qualify my satisfaction by melancholy and romantic musings on my condition and the uncertainty of the future this was possibly owing to the fineness of the weather a heavy black gale from the north would have doubtless given a very different turn to my humours the wind at dawn had weakened and come into the west there was a strong swell indeed there always is in this ocean but the seas ran small the sky looked like marble with its broad spreadings of high white clouds and the veins of blue sky between i wished to make all the northing that was possible but there was nothing to be done in that way with the spritsail alone had not the capstan been frozen i should have tried to get the mainsail upon the ship but without the aid of machinery i was helpless so with helm amidships the schooner drove languidly along with her head due east lifting as ponderously as a line of battleship to the floating launches of the high swell and the albatross hung as steadfastly in the wake of my lonely ocean path as though it had been some messenger sent by god to watch me into safety End of chapter 26 Recording by Barbara Dirksen